as a guy that has the privilege of talking about God's word a lot, one, let me commend you again. Well done. Greet each other. You're still greeting each other. My turn. <laughs> me now. No. You know what? We're an international church. We've got people from all over the world. I hope that each time you gather together in this room, we work hard to try to meet somebody we don't know. I know there are those of you that are introverts, and that's a scary thing. You can do it. Uh, my wife just got up and spoke, and that's terrifying for her, so I believe you can do it. If you're new, I sure hope we're a church that welcomes you warmly. If we, not sh- if we haven't, shame on us, we'll improve. But we want you to know that you are loved. But as a preacher, one of the things I sometimes hear is, God's word is old, and it's not very relevant for me today. What's that even mean? Well, today is relevant for all of us. We're going to look at what Jesus has to say about issues like lust. Not something we like to talk about very often. We're going to talk about for the next two weeks things like adultery. I'm going to use words that typically I don't say from the stage, like sex. And that God actually is pleased with the creation of sex within the bounds of marriage. But that he does not in any way intend for a couple to be divorced. But it has happened. And so what does God teach on marriage is what we are going to look, like, look at for the next two weeks. If you're following around, you know the bulletin says living in the red. So as we progress, we're going to start at the very beginning of the Bible today, and we're going to look at how God created man and woman and what that meant and the sig- symbolism there. And then we're going to look at Jesus' words. In your Bible, they're often red. That's why this series is called Living in the Red. And we're going to look at what he had to say about tremendous barriers, tremendous just breaking points of a marriage and what can we do today to fight to protect the marriages God has given us and what does the church have to do with marriage a whole lot if you read the scriptures so would you pray with me this morning Lord I thank you for your word Uh, I, I come as good a mood as I am in I come knowing that these are heavy subjects and so I ask that you would speak that you would guard our hearts that you would teach us this morning from your word. Lord, please don't let me get in the way of your word and of what you have to say. Amen. Well, as I've told you before, many of you know I like to watch TED Talks. It's, it's my great little thing that when I just need a 10-minute break, I find a TED Talk to watch. And, and so as I knew I was preparing for this series, uh, I Googled, or I TEDed, I guess, uh, marriage. And often uh, TED is a secular conference, so rarely do you find things that talk from a Christian perspective. And there was one talk that was a woman named Jenna McCarthy, not to be confused with the actress Jenny McCarthy, but Jenna McCarthy was giving a talk on research statistics that prove how to have a happy marriage. And I thought this ought to be interesting. What does the world say are keys to happy marriage? And you might think you'd know, but I'd like to give you some updates. And these are from a a lady named Jenna McCarthy. Uh, It's an interesting talk, but you can get the gist of what she's saying right here. First... If you want to have a happy marriage, do not win an Academy Award for acting. Okay? If you were an actor, don't win an Oscar because it's going to break up your marriage. Statistics time and again have shown that to be true. Most of us are safe on that one. Next, and and men, this ought to be interesting to you, and women, hopefully interesting. In the secular research that's been shown, women who are thinner and more attractive than their husbands have happier marriages. 
Empirical evidence has demonstrated that wives that are thinner and better looking than their husbands tend to have happier marriages. Also, romantic comedies are not good for your marriage. Yay, Brian says, yay, good. Yes, so don't watch them. Why might that be true in a statistically based study? Because romantic comedies tend to idealize love and they're not very realistic, are they? If you were wondering. Uh, Also, if you go back, when you were a child, if you're listening to me, likely you remember cameras that used this thing called film where you couldn't just delete the pictures that were bad. You remember that? And it was expensive and so you only had 24, maybe 36 shots on a roll and you had to use them very carefully. Okay, in those, if you go back and look at your childhood pictures, if you were smiling in those pictures, you are likely to have a happier marriage than if you didn't smile. (laughs) So you go back and you look at those old, and some people even printed out pictures back then too. Uh, They didn't just look at them on a computer screen or an iPad. So there's another one. Also, this one's a little more serious. Sadly, divorce is contagious. Well, so if one couple gets a divorce, sometimes those around them get divorced. Studies then showed that as they talked to these couples that had first gotten divorced, sometimes they got bitter and angry at those with happy marriages and intentionally sabotaged them. So be careful hanging out with divorced people because they may try to break up your marriage. But in all reality, once that word is out there, that divorce word, it becomes dangerous. Uh, when I counsel couples in premarital counseling, one of the first things I say to them is make a commitment between you and your future spouse that no matter how big the argument, divorce never comes into the equation. Make that commitment because when we covenant between God and man, we say we're in it for the long haul. And that's the way God intended it. The sad thing is divorce can be contagious. That's why statistics inside and outside of the church show divorce happens a lot. Finally, husbands, marriages in which the husband helps with the housework tend to be more successful and longer lasting. (laughs) Let me say that again to myself. (laughs) Marriages in which the husband helps with the housework tend to be more successful. Men, get your hands dirty and clean a toilet. (laughs) And I will do it as well. Someday. (laughs) Finally, last one. And these are secular studies. These are not from Christians that are trying to skew these facts in a certain way. But time and again, we hear in popular media that it's nothing better than to be single. That then you can sleep around, you can do all this, you're happier, you're healthier, you're having more fun. Research does not prove that to be true. Married people one, are more financially secure and make more money, not just because they're married, but typically a married person individually gets a higher income bracket. So there's one. Two, they tend to be healthier. They sleep better. Did you know that? I know you'll complain about your husband snoring and your wives touching you with their cold feet, but in all reality, husbands and wives that are married, husbands and wives obviously, tend to sleep better. Also, they have happier, more stable children. I think that kind of goes without saying. And by and large, married people tend to be happier than those that are not. 
It's interesting that all that research comes from people that time and again try to show us that marriage has little to no value in today's world. That marriage is a, God, is a man-made construct that has no real value in culture today unless it's fighting for specifically new redefined types of marriage. It's interesting, isn't it? What does God's word have to say about marriage? Well, we know Jesus believed fully in marriage because he was looking at the Pharisees. And when we look at this text that we're going to look at throughout the morning and and as well as next week, we have to remember the context of what Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. First, he gave us the Beatitudes. And one of the Beatitudes he gives is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God cares about your heart. And he calls us to a purity that can only come from him. And then Jesus talks and he looks straight at the Pharisees, at the righteous people, the good religious people of the day. And he says to them and to all those around them, and this is in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, unless your righteousness, your goodness, your being righter than everybody else, Unless yours is even better than that of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the best of the best of the day, you have no place with me. You will not inherit the kingdom. So Jesus, as he moves through this teaching, this, what it's called the Sermon on the Mount, is giving us very, very tangible ways of redefining legalism. In other words, if I just follow the rule, if I don't end up stealing what I thought I was going to steal well done, Doug and Twinkie, then I'm okay. When I was a youth pastor, one of the questions that would come to me often whenever we would talk about things like sex and God's plan for marriage and love and all of that, which I I enjoyed teaching teenagers about because there is God's plan and it is way better than man's plan. But they would always ask the same question time and again, how far can I go before it's too far? And you even see it with little kids and what they want to do. They're always trying to test how far they can go before you say no or they get in trouble, right? And teenagers want to test those boundaries with physical relationships. And I always said the same thing. It's the wrong question. The right question is what does God demand of us in purity? And to get that understanding, we have to understand what God's word teaches We have to understand that it is God that very truly invented marriage. No matter how romantic you are, men, it wasn't you that thought up the idea to propose to your wife. You thought it up for her. But God created this thing called marriage. Therefore, it is a good thing. Too often today we hear the exact opposite. Marriage is done. It's over. It's not valid. Just enjoy porn, do what you want, make yourself happy and all is fine. Relationships can come and go. They're temporary. Don't invest. You know, one of the famous TV shows that went off the air last year was How I Met Your Mother. And that show glorified one man named Barney that spent most of his life, all he wanted was to be awesome, he said, and to have sex with as many people as he could. And even Barney in that show realized at some point that it was empty. But sadly, as the show went on, they realized, they showed us that it's hard to break that cycle once you've entered into it. 
And so how do we protect ourselves? How do you divorce proof of marriage? What does God teach us about marriage? Well, let's look at some things. First, marriage was under attack 2,000 years ago. I know we think we are unique. We think that the things we wrestle with today are new and brand new and nobody's ever dealt with this before. But as Solomon says, there is nothing new under the sun. Marriage was under attack when the Son of God was walking the earth. How? Well, the Pharisees were redefining adultery in their own way. As long as they didn't do the physical act, that was great. They could do everything else. If you take that into the 21st century that we find ourselves in, if I were to privately ask each one of you, is pornography wrong? You would probably tell me yes. If I asked a follow-up question, has there been times when you may have justified its use or fell into that temptation? Many would probably also say yes. But it's not wrong because it's a sin that doesn't hurt anybody else. That was what the Pharisees were saying 2,000 years ago. They didn't have an iPad or a computer or a phone to check out porn, but they had their own way of committing the oldest sin in the newest ways. And Jesus says, you don't get it. What does he say? Well, let's go back to Matthew 5, 27 through 30. We're going to read all the way to 32, and over the next two weeks we'll come back to the whole passage. But you have heard it said that it was, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Good. If you are married, you do not want your spouse to commit adultery, I suspect. You don't want to be cheated upon. If you are the spouse, you also know deep down that it is wrong to commit adultery, correct? Most of us get that, whether we've grown up in the church or not. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow, that's hard because there are images all around us. There are beautiful people everywhere. What do I do? Well, Jesus is not very gentle in what he says next. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Okay, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell, to let sin conquer it, is what he's saying. It has been said, he goes on, he's getting bold. Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. That was true, it had been said. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. What we found ourselves in culturally was a time when your thought life was fine. Whatever you wanted to think about, whomever you wanted to think about, the Pharisees said, that's not the problem. As long as you don't commit the physical act of adultery, you're good, you're pure. And in the same way, if a man wanted to get rid of his wife, he could trump up charges, hand her a certificate, and say, you're done, I'm done with you. Now, God did allow divorce to be initiated in the Old Testament. We must understand that, but it was for the protection of the spouse. It wasn't his intent. In fact, he says that time and again, divorce is not my will, but it has happened. And the reason divorce was created was to protect not to be the norm. 
Statistics show in America that between 40 and 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce today. Thankfully, here in China, uh, 13 million people got married in 2011. Of those, we're doing really well. Only 3 million, just under, got divorced. But think about that. That's 6 million people living lives that were broken by divorce. That is a lot of people. So what does God's word tell us? We know that Jesus obviously values marriage or he wouldn't have jumped here first. Lust, adultery, and divorce? 2,000 years later, what are the big barriers to marriage today? Lust, adultery, and divorce. Right? So what does God's word tell us? Well, let's see. First, man and woman in God's own image. God meant to create us. It was his plan, and he created us in his image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. You are on purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we look and think, oh, I don't look very good. I'm not thinner than my spouse. Therefore, our marriage is doomed. It is not, by the way. But we know right off the bat in Genesis chapter 1 that it was God's idea. God blessed them and he told them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. You're in charge. You're at the top of the food chain. But verse 28, ladies and gentlemen, if you are married, I want you to understand what he's saying there. He's not just saying, functionally speaking, make sure you have lots of babies. I don't think I need to spell out what he's saying, but being fruitful and multiplying requires certain acts of a married couple, does it not? God did not just give the act of sexual intercourse to be a means to an end. Just as now we are thinking that sex is only for fun, we have to understand that God created sex and he saw it and it was good. He meant for it to be not just a function of life, but a very real blessing of intimacy of two, as we see in the next passage, of two becoming one. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother. If you are married and still living at home, get out! If you can, I know there's other reasons for that. But look, it's right there. You're to leave your mother and father and get out. There's in-law problems. Protect yourself. And be united to wife, to his wife. And they will become, what? Two people that just have sex occasionally? No, they are one flesh walking through this world together in a relationship that points back to God. The way God created marriage was to let people see his grandeur, his awesomeness, his creativity. I couldn't have thought of this stuff. God can't. We go further. Jesus, later on in Matthew, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Have you not read that he who created them, man and women, from the beginning, made them male and female? Again, God did this. It wasn't an accident. And he said, therefore... 
Reminder, a man shall live, leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I love that translation there. Hold fast to her. Hold on to that wife. She's the only one you're supposed to have. Hold on to her. Let her know you love her and you care. And the two shall become one flesh. So they know, and then Jesus adds, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And you hear me saying this in every wedding I perform. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Do you see a common theme in this concept of marriage? Marriage isn't about you feeling good and emotionally happy. Marriage at its basis honors God. Marriage is God's construct. He meant to do it. He created male and female. And what he brought together, we have no business screwing it up. In all reality, it's that simple. I made a promise. And one of the worst things to happen to me in all the years I've preached, either in youth or adults, is I was getting ready to preach on marriage and I played tennis on Tuesday night and I can't play tennis with a wedding ring. I took it off. I don't know where my wedding ring is. I have lost a 13-year-old wedding ring and I lose everything. But the one thing I'd never lost was my beautiful wedding band. The second one, because the first one didn't fit. And I love that. But does that make me less married now? She's not answering. But I think... (laughs) I think I need to take her out for a nice lunch later. But as much of the symbol of our unbroken love and God's unbroken love for us, I am still married to my wife. And I have no business breaking that covenant between God and man and woman. God brought Melissa into my life and she is amazing. I don't deserve her. We should all think the same. We should all work hard to go out of our way to love our spouses. And we should always remember that what God has brought together, maybe mistakes have been made. I promise they have. All of us make mistakes. Maybe your relationship with the Lord isn't what it should be or theirs isn't what it should be. God can redeem that. God can fix it if he is Lord of your life. Otherwise, you're going to try to do all these things, read all these books. We were talking about self-help books in men's ministry yesterday. You can read all the self-help books in the world, but when it comes to marriage and healthy relationships, if the Lord isn't the Lord of your life, you're fighting an uphill battle because only he can give you the strength to be pure. Only he can give you the love for your wife when you've seen her in the morning. Only he can give you the love for the hus- your love for the, your husband when you've seen him as he ages or whatever the case may be. What God has therefore joined together, let no man separate. He is not mincing words. But see, it wasn't just for functionality that God brings man and women together. He wanted you to enjoy marriage. He intended for us to be together and meant for it to be pleasurable. How do I know that? Well, about the only verses I could put up on a screen in this church on a Sunday morning from Song of Solomon are these. If you know anything about Song of Solomon, it is a wonderful declaration of a husband and a wife that love each other and aren't afraid to be very graphic in how they tell you about it. It is awesome. 
you should read it. And you should be able, if you are married, to speak to your wife or your husband in those ways. But for the sake of tact, I'm not going to repeat all of that this morning. But look, even this, Solomon, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Maybe today I would say, your eyes are like a beautiful headlight of my favorite car. (laughs) And she would respond, how handsome you are, my lover. And oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant and you let me sleep when the kids are loud. (laughs) Might be what she's saying. The point is, God's word even includes a husband and wife loving each other. Not edited, rated G, full on love. God wants us to enjoy marriage and the sex and the love and the intimacy that goes along with it. That was his plan from even before the fall. It wasn't a mistake that God gave us marriage. It is a mistake that the world continues to try to redefine it and make us think that it's somehow about us. Because <laughs> it's not. How do I know that? Well, go on. Now, you right away see words up on that screen that make many of your skin crawl. Follow along with me. Please read through the next 11 verses together in their entirety before you turn me off because I said wives should submit to their husbands, which I did not say God's word says it. Okay? So let's read the whole thing. Follow along with me as I read. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its savior. Wow. So this is all about the church. Yes, it is. Now, as the church submits to Christ, out of love, you could add there, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, that's a little scary and uncomfortable for some of us. Don't stop reading. Husbands, love your wives. To which I say, duh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we might be holy and without blemish. There's that picture of purity again in marriage, only this time... uh, Paul isn't just talking about man and woman. He's talking about us, the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And don't stop there. He keeps going. After all, no one ever hated his own body. Yes, some of you don't like how you look, but that's not what this means. But he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. And we are members, for we are members of his body. For this reason, here it is again. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, linked together in godly purity. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's out there. Wives, submit to your husbands, for he is the head of the home. He is the head. 
But see, the thing is, we stop there and we miss the rest of what goes on with it. As Christ is the head of the church, he who gave himself up for the church, he who went to the cross for his bride, Men, women, all of us, we are, if we are in Christ, Christ followers, we are the very bride of Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is, the imagery of today, this isn't the sad part, the imagery is a bride should wear white, symbolizing her purity, correct? In in Western culture, I know here brides also wear red later on in the night, right? Is that correct? They switch, and I think that's awesome. But what happens is we, the church, are to be pure. We, the church, cannot purify ourselves. We can't do it. No matter how hard in my own strength I try to be good, it's, I'm going to fail. So Jesus did the most amazing thing of all. He gave himself up. He died and rose again victoriously so that we could be pure and live forever with him as his bride. Isn't that amazing? So now, men, let's talk about that submit thing again. Well, if I want to be a husband the way Jesus is the husband to me as part of the church, that means my ambition, my calling to the Lord is first and foremost. I will obey where God calls me to go and do what he tells me to do. That is more important than that beautiful woman over there and the three kids she's given me. That's not funny. That's true. Nothing must be more important than our love of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You want to have a healthy marriage? Start there. Let your wife know you love God more than her. Let your husband know you expect him to be like Christ. Wives, you are too. But then he moves on and he gives us this picture that we're to be pure and we're to be holy. And we then, as members of the body of Christ, when we're married together, and we could talk all sorts of other things, but if we stay focused, we understand that it's Jesus that gave himself up for us. So we should be willing to do the same in our marriages. What is one of the keys to finding out marriages break down in today's society? We keep thinking we are more important than ourself, than our spouse. I matter more than Melissa. Fill in the blank with your spouse's name. I want what I want and that's fine. That's fair by me because it's not reasonable for me just to care about her all the time or him all the time. I don't want to be a placemat, a doormat. My needs are important. Yes, your needs are important not at the expense of your marriage. And who knows how whenever stage of your marriage you're in, you could be showing your spouse the love of Christ by serving out of Christ-like love. That is the picture that we are given of marriage. Is there submission involved? Absolutely, there is. And that is a holy biblical concept. But we are called as men and women to serve and to love and to respect and to honor one another as Christ first loved his church. Men, it means we are called to step up and lead by example. Women, it means you're to go with your husband and you're to help. And men, we're to help our wives. It is important that we are together. It's not one is more important than the other. We've missed it. We're in this together. That is marriage. Just as Christ gave himself up for the church, we love our spouses so much that we would do whatever it takes to point them to Jesus Christ and to let them know they are loved and of great value. And when we do that, the amazing thing happens. 
people see God in us and they think, wow, that's the kind of marriage I want. I do not have the perfect marriage. You know how I know that? Because I'm in it and I am still learning. Nine years ago today, marriage changed forever for me. We had a kid. (laughs) That changes everything. A couple years later, we had a boy. That really changes everything. But you know what? In all reality, I love her more today than I possibly knew I could almost 13 years ago. She is amazing. But you know what I love most about her? That she can get up here and say, I want you to know Jesus. I want other women to know the love that God has for them. And we're in this marriage and we are in this call to serve together wherever you are. She's willing to fight for me even when I don't deserve it. And I admire that about her because I know she loves Jesus more than me. So when Jesus gets to this topic, you now understand there's a biblical foundation for the value of marriage. Marriage matters because it shows God's gracious, creative love for his people. And it allows us, his people, to show people how amazing God is. If God is not almighty, marriage gets a lot harder. So you've heard it said that uh, you shouldn't commit adultery, to which we've already agreed is a good idea. But as Jesus turns from the sixth commandment to now the seventh, he turns from murder that can really be boiled down to anger and hatred to now prohibition against adultery. adultery. What he's doing is he's letting us see that even though the sin of desiring another man's wife is included in the 10th commandment against covetousness, the people then said, ah, covetousness isn't as big of a deal as adultery, so we're not going to worry about that one. And so they were trying to just toe a legalistic line. But Jesus teaches differently here. Jesus miraculously invites us to a different life, a life of purity, He extends the implications here of adultery to that concept of lust. And I know we in the church and we in the world don't want to talk about lust. Gerald Ford, you ever heard of him? He was one of the presidents of the United States of America not so long ago. Not a very successful one, not going to lie. But he was a God-fearing man for the most part, or did his best from what I know of him. And he once confessed openly in a speech that I have struggled with lust. He was crucified. Left and right, people criticized him. Saturday Night Live spent dozens and dozens and dozens of skits making fun of Gerald Ford because he admitted openly what just about all of us have wrestled with at one time or another. We want sexually what we know we can't have. And Gerald Ford had the courage to stand up and say it as president of the United States of America. And it got him judged fiercely. But you know what? Lust is real, it's pervasive, and it is a tool of Satan to try to break our marriage because a healthy marriage is one that points people to Jesus Christ. And that's a great thing. Satan doesn't want that. He doesn't want the ultimate picture of the Trinitarian life, a good, healthy marriage, to be shown out. So he wants lust. And what's he going to do? He's going to throw, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, a Calvin Klein ad on the side of a skyscraper in Central of a man in his underwear. That did not cause lust for me, but for others it probably did. 
He throws images across the board. And then he gives you a computer and says, you can go into a quiet room and look at anything you want and no one will ever know. And that sin won't have any effects. Satan is wrong. Porn, lust, objectifying men and women, getting into chat rooms and talking about your spouse and how bad they are and engaging in an emotional connection with one that is not your spouse in a way that's not healthy destroys your marriage, your testimony, and your purity. You want to talk about the results of pornography? They're horrible and they're everywhere. So what do we do? How do we fight? We know it's hard. I stand before you and say we are inundated with temptation everywhere and we're in a society that says that's okay, don't worry about it. So what do you do? Well, I think Job had a pretty good idea. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Job valued marriage. By the way, any of you remember Job's wife? You know, the one that told him to curse God and die? He made a promise to her saying, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a virgin is another way to, trans, to, to interpret or translate that, but not to look lustfully. That sounds an awful lot like the porn industry today. Young women, young men are there too, and you look lustfully at them. And Job says, I made a covenant. So what do we do? How do we fight How do we make a covenant like that today? Well, I think if you look a little more at what Job had to say, the first thing we realize is he makes a commitment to purity. He cares more about purity than self-satisfaction in the moment. There's a thing Jesus tells us. We ought to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Just because I want it right now doesn't mean it's the best thing. Sorry, Donnie, I scared you. I get a little excited. But so often we see credit cards exist today because we want something right now, but we don't have the money to pay for it, right? Sadly. In the same way, sexual sin exists because I see something I want right now and I gotta have it. I have objectified the marriage bed and turned it into something that gives me and me only pleasure. Selfish. Pride. Me. And that is not a Christ-centered marriage. And therefore I fall. So the first thing we realize that Job teaches us right here is commit to purity. Second, well, I made a covenant with my eyes. Therefore, I'm not going to look at things that are going to get me in trouble and lead me to other actions that I shouldn't be doing. To which I say, "Uh uh-huh. Stephen Arterburn and uh, Stephen James wrote a book years ago called Every Man's Battle. In other words, men rightly... God has created us as visual creatures. It's why we like looking at stuff in a certain way. But there are things that are off limits. The beauty of your wife, she's all yours. Enjoy it. The beauty of another man's wife, no, it's not. So what do we do? Well, if you get caught and you see things you know you shouldn't be seeing, you accidentally see you're not intending trying to look at it, Stephen Arterburn teaches us to bounce your eyes. Don't see something and then just keep staring at it. That's just going to get you in trouble. Turn away. Joseph in the Old Testament, beautiful. Pharaoh's wife comes at him. What does he do? Stands there and say, hmm. Now he turned around, ran, and even left his cloak. He got out of the situation. You want to protect your marriage. Maybe you need to shut down your computer when your wife goes to bed. 
the internet isn't that important. Facebook, well, isn't that important. Whatever you think you might need to be on that could lead to temptation, stop it. Maybe you're having conversations with men or women that you know they're wanting something that you know shouldn't be had. Maybe you need to stop those conversations. Cut it off. I haven't met many people that are walking around with their eyes cut off and their hands cut off because they follow Jesus literally. But I have met people I admire. A guy named Josh McDowell once walked into a hotel and because he couldn't get the porn off of his TV, like he wasn't watching it, but he knew that station was there. He unplugged the TV and carried it down to the lobby and handed it to the desk. He cut off the temptation and walked away from it. Do we? Do we obey Jesus' words? Or do we sit there and put ourselves in situations where we could fall into lust and adultery? What else do we learn from Job and from the Lord himself? Well, Job 31.2 tells us something interesting. And we're going to finish here in just a moment. But this is what he said. I made a covenant with my eyes, verse 2. For what is man's lot from God above? He acknowledges that God above. His heritage from the almighty God on high. And then he goes on to say it's God's heritage for those that sin is ruin. But Job is inviting us to a righteous life of acknowledging that God is almighty. He is the standard bearer. It is he who calls us to holy living. You're not going to do it on your own. You need to understand God is holy and we are being drawn to him out of great love for him. He is so amazing that he gave us marriage. I can't possibly think of life without my wife anymore. Could I think of it before I met her? Yes, because I didn't know her. But now I wouldn't possibly want to walk without Melissa. She is the second love of my life. But my first great love is the Lord Almighty. And I love how beautiful he has made my bride. And I pray that I am getting better looking to her. That's why I decided to go to the hospital and lose 20 pounds was so that I could look better. It was not. That was not my intent. Finally, you want to fight lust. You want to protect your marriage. You want to deal with things that you know need dealt with. Well, just what I talked about. We're told very clearly in Scripture, in your hearts, set apart yourself as Lord. Right? No. Set apart Christ as Lord of every area of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, God gave us marriage. God loves sex within the bounds of marriage. God planned it that way and intends it to be in the bounds of marriage. God intends marriage to show people the greatness, the grandeur, the almighty love and creativity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at work in fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And marriage should point people to the grandeur of the almighty God. Second, God gave us the church as a marriage vow that we, the church family, so if you're not married, you still have to listen. We, the church family, are invited to a life of purity that we were washed by the blood of our groom, Jesus Christ. And we're called to invite people in that may not know the love and relationship we have through Jesus Christ. And finally, if you find yourself stuck, if you can't get out of the addictive behavior that is ruining your marriage, turn back to the scripture. Make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully at another woman or another man. Don't engage in those things that put you in harm's way. Cut off the temptation. Get rid of it. 
Jesus is so clear. Protect yourself. It's better to deny yourself now and enjoy a healthy relationship than end up giving a foothold to sin and letting it destroy your life. God wants us to have healthy marriages and he wants us to be a healthy church. The two are linked. We must not divide what God has brought together. My prayer for all of us is that if we're married, we would be men and women that are enjoying every minute of it as we grow together. If you are single, my prayer is that you are pure in your walk with the Lord, just as we as married people strive to be as well. But God, you know, Paul says it's better to be single, and I I can understand why. But for all of us, whatever position we found ourselves in, we are called to a life of purity and a life of holiness and a life of love that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful for marriage. I love it. I'm so grateful for the forgiveness you've taught me because of my wife. I'm so grateful for the beauty that I see because of marriage. I'm so grateful of what you've taught me because you have created us. And I'm thankful for your word. Lord, I know lust is all around us, and I pray that you would purify us. I pray that we would be a church that is holy and pure before you and that we would surrender our will to yours, that we would make every effort to love our spouses as you first loved us. In your name I pray, amen.